Hey, what's up? Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to But I'm an Emerging Artist. Today, I'm chatting to Flick. How, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, hi, my name is Flick Anderson, and I am an emerging dramaturg. I love it. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to be chatting about... How do I phrase it? Like, um, the tax of being an artist? Mm. And also Shakespeare. <laughs> We're going to get into it. Um, where should we start? Wherever you want to. We, well, maybe we'll start about um, start with performance as a whole. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, so the tax of being an artist or performer or, um, you know, whatever, how would you kind of um, define that or explain that in your experience Um, it's really interesting I was at the start of 2019 I can't even remember what it was for specifically but I went to a talk that was aimed at emerging artists Mm. and a lot of it was aimed towards you know being a part of the industry in a way that promotes longevity and and being safe and one thing that came up just briefly in that discussion that then I guess torpedoed into something that I think about all the time now is the unpaid labour of being an artist and the work. And I guess for me that's the emotional labour of being an artist. Uh, And I guess that term gets used a lot in terms of other work. So if you think about emotional labour, that's the management of your emotions in order to sort of satisfy I guess, expressive and empathetic demands of a situation. So Mm -hmm. you can, obviously, it comes up in relationships a lot, I think. Um, And in workplaces, it also pops up. But I think we tend to think of it in a broader sense in customer service industries and things like that. We talk about people putting on a face. But that's even within paid hours. And artists have this whole other range of scenarios and things that they have to do for work in which there's this incredible demand for them to be empathetic and to express and to dig deep into personal or wider um, discussions and and emotions Mm. uh, that, you know, they don't really ever get credit for. I mean, you never see that in the room. It's not even in a specific rehearsal where you can say, okay, there was this time where this happened. Um, It's sort of, yeah, the before and the after of everything that we just, yeah, it never gets, I think, spoken about a lot publicly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many things that we do as artists that just aren't, you know, on the clock, I guess. Um, You know, like so many things, like, you know, watching, you know, a play online and, like, stud- like quote-unquote studying it or, you know, like, doing self-tapes, doing, like, all these random things, emotional labour, all of them, they add up and it is work. I mean, I, I think that acting especially is, like, a kind of a full-time commitment. It's, like, you're always kind of working on it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, and um, there's no guaranteed progression, right? Mm. It's not like any other job where there's sort of a planned trajectory. Uh, yeah. You know, you can study and then you do something and then you do something else. First of all, there's no way, you know, actor, producer, anything. There's no, you study this and then you're qualified and, and there's going to be work. You just apply for it with your CV once. Mm. Um, and then once you've entered the industry, you have to almost prove yourself every time. Except when every time, every time with an audience, unless you are one of the very few people that get to a stage where they don't have to do that anymore. And that's, a, you know, an extreme minority. The rest of us have to prove ourselves and our, our skills and our ability to do a specific job every single short term job. Yeah. And that's a whole other mental labor that we have to go through which is already for some people hard enough, I think, having to say 
build up that confidence mm. it's such an ego thing as well you have to have some sort of ego I think to be an actor not in a negative way per se but to have the confidence to do it mm. but then to have to constantly not be a dick about it oh sorry can I say dick yeah yeah <laughs> not not be an asshole but also be able to say each and every time walk into a room and own it and also be prepared for rejection mm. and then also be prepared to get a job and it not go well or get a job and and then corona it, happens you know. <laughs> yeah, I know and it, that's just unprecedented but in some ways we're uniquely prepared for something like this I think artists are just people who are particularly it's just another breed of people I mean if you've got friends who are artists and non-artists it's a completely different ball game I think in the way that they interact and exist in the world mm. um but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not exhausting yeah um, and i think that's why mental health can be such a big issue um because there is and particularly with performers i think i'm i quite admire people that perform all the time because it's such a toll mm. on the person yeah no it is it I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the situation, but, you know, even to just, like, go through the motion of, say, you're doing a play, you have to do it, like, 30, 40, 50 times. Like, mm. even, like, going through the same motion so many times and having to get it right every time. And it's got to be new every time to an extent, right? Because every audience there but, yeah. is seeing it for the first time and they're expecting to see something designed for people that have seen it the first time it's hard enough mm. to get people to see the value of purchasing an expensive theater ticket with rehearsals time you know rehearsal in mind and all of mm. that labor in mind rather than just seeing what's on the set or what's on the stage let alone all of the in between all of the thinking about it and because it is also constant problem solving having to come up with choices that's a lot of unconscious work mm. as well yeah and you think about how many people work on a production or a film or whatever. So many people, so many people mm. don't get the, like, not that they're not getting credit, but it's like nobody would watch a film and be like, wow, the assistant hair artist was doing yeah. really you know, things like that. But for that person, you know, that could have been the biggest job of their life yeah. at the time. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think that, um, yeah, what we put in and what we kind of, get out or the kind of reception of it they're like two different things it's like you put in so much work and sometimes you don't get much back mm, and it's and not it's something that of... you can hold and tangibly see mm. like on some level you can see a garment and you think okay yeah someone designed this and I can see someone had to make it yeah um, and at least see clearly and you know then someone had to deliver it to me there's so many unseen and I look, there's probably a lot of, I'm maybe proving my point that it's like that with a lot of industries. There's probably a lot of other things involved um, in, you know, the system of doing something like that. But also I think it makes it hard because there's a lot of roles that make such a substantial difference to a show. And if we talk about emerging artists that are creating independent theatre which money is already tight as is you're already trying to convince people to come out and pay to see a show mm. and you and we all know that new work is important but having things like dramaturgical work or development and you know a movement director coming in and, and a voice coach and all of these extra things that so many people maybe can't afford mm. there's also that side of it in which all of that, yeah, costs something, but it's invisible to the final product, except in the quality. But again, yeah, you don't look at a show and be like, oh, they must have had a fantastic movement coach. Yeah. Unless it's a highly physical work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think it's a weird dynamic of, like, being an artist and putting it all in and then, like, the end product, it just, I feel like it never really reflects the work. That's really bad to say, but... It just doesn't. Like, even if you come at it with something that's, like, incredible and amazing and it's, like, the greatest thing on earth, like, that still would not reflect the amount of work that goes into something mm, like that. Yeah. And also just mentally to be in a production, you know, we all go through that entire spectrum of 
I love this. Oh, I hate this. This is going to be yeah. awful. Oh, it actually, might, it might be okay. Going through that every single time, you sort of have to, to be able to put that aside, just devote yourself to something in order for it to work. Like there's a stage in the work where everyone's just got to take that leap of faith um, and all of those things. How do you monetize that though, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. But I think that's what makes it interesting. Art. We live in a capitalist society. I mean, it, in making it political, it's quite difficult mm. because art is sort of political inherently because it's so anti to that because there's no way yeah. you can monetize that. Um, and it's not directly... Well, first of all, because how do you put a price on emotional labour? How do you put a price on trauma mm. or just the way that you have to live your life as an artist because in order to be good at it mm. I guess there's just a way you have to live in the world and, and absorb the world and be thinking about it um, yeah but also in the way that people benefit from art how do you <laughs> how do you put a price on that yeah absolutely no I think that um what you said about art being so like anti- kind of makes it political, which is so true. Like, I think I raised it in, like, a previous episode briefly that um, the reason why we have art is to challenge politics. Mm. So without art, it would just, we would be fucked. Um, but, sure. yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting. Like, how do you put a price on art, especially when, like, a lot of it is so intangible? Like you said, it's not like, oh, here's a book and then you pay for it. Like, it's things that don't necessarily exist physically Mm. so yeah how do you price that it's crazy yeah and even going back to (laughs) capitalism yeah uh, (laughs) uh, you know it's based upon we're talking about monetizing it as well like this Mm. whole system of money is based upon you know I guess the way that it's built we are either supports the regime that's a really extreme word for it but the way of living so I guess you call that you can call that propaganda or it can oppose that um Mm. so like we said about it's so symbolic and you see that in you know statues torn down in revolutions or books burnt in a fascist regime or anything like that it's more than just the pages and the sculpture Mm. it's so rich in meaning that it's just the question is how do you I think it's not wrong to say that we there needs to be a change in the way that we see it for art to be viable and for people to be able to healthily give it the time that it deserves Mm. um because artists don't provide labor for the economy in a way that I mean, they do. See, that's also something that's wrong as well because, art, you know, art provides a lot of money for the economy. Um, mm. But it's not in a way that I think a lot of people tend to think of. So the big question is how do we gain respect from the government so that, you know, it gets the, the funding that it deserves so that we can operate safely and just, like, be professional artists without having to take on so much load with and and too much at times as well Mm, yeah which like honestly maybe that'll never happen maybe the government will go to the grave being like we don't give a fuck Mm. (laughs) Um, which is something that we need to be prepared for I think um no my friend said earlier I was like um don't let the arts become a money game and I'm like but it is a money game when you think about it Mm. well that's how you in the way that it is now, money is is where the power is. Because yeah, if exactly. you are struggling, like how do you have the energy? We've seen that now with a lot of activism being much more easily widespread when people are at home with nothing to do. Because when you're mm. struggling and you're working all the time and, you know, slaving away for 40 hours a week, how do you ha- people just don't have the energy to really be thinking critically about the world and what they want to change or feel empowered to do that. I think the same is in the arts. I really, to a level, I respect and I get it and I believe to an extent when we talk about art that isn't heavily rewarded by money. So, you know, if we're talking about independent theatre that 
might not make any money at all and might lose money that there is this raw value in that being something created through sheer the sheer will of the artist and from that passion but on the other I I hate that that has to happen um yeah because I think people deserve to be paid or at least be able to survive without also having to work a full-time job and do everything else Mm. see I think it's interesting that we are chatting about capitalism but then we're also chatting about like money being the um what's the word I'm thinking of like the you know like the value of art it's like oh we Mm. they didn't make enough money oh they like um, didn't get paid like it's always it kind of always revolves around money which I think yeah. is really interesting obviously it's because we live in a capitalist world and you know capitalism is money basically but mm. it's just it, it's crazy to me like like I wonder what would happen to the arts if we just cut money out of the equation it's like nobody got paid yeah. nobody like where would art be and I feel like it would be in a maybe in a better place I think I a know. much better place actually talking about it there's this uh Mark Fisher, he's a, a British theorist, and he and he calls it capitalist realism. And it's basically mm-hmm. this idea that we are so indoctrinated by the system that, that we're in that it, we just have this idea that there's no other reality possible, there's no other economic system possible than mm. capitalism, and it makes us unable to talk about things outside it. Like right now, we're being, you know, it's you know, on one hand being highly critical of it because it it inherently doesn't quite work with our profession. And I, I say prof- profession, vocation, a really integral part of society, I think, art as a whole. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, it's really hard to talk about an alternative whilst in this system, because as it currently is, unless there's a revolution, um, we, we still kind of have to talk about it in terms of money, because that, that is where power is right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it is really difficult i mean ideally yeah that you're right it would be better if it wasn't involved because it is so important um, yeah. when we talk about the ideological importance of art yeah absolutely like i who was i chatting to i think it was juliet um in an episode like months ago and she was telling me about how um Hitler burnt art mm. in World War II, uh, like for some reason I don't remember exactly what she said, but um, yeah, I found it really interesting that it was like art was a thing to provoke, um, you know, like such radical like war acts and stuff. But it was art that provoked that, not anything else, which mm. I just thought was interesting. And it really goes to show that art is important. And I don't understand why people don't get the concept. <laughs> And I think about it almost every episode. It's like art is everywhere. It's everywhere you look. It's on every billboard, bus, website, ads, you know, um, chip packet, like whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's literally everywhere. But you still think that it's not important. Listen, mm. I don't know. <laughs> I think, but I think that's also pushed by power structures because, mm. you know, those that are in power are never going to promote a mode of thinking or a value system that puts them in danger. Yeah, I think absolutely. art for sure puts who's in, in power in danger. And it's really interesting, I think, now in the way that the world is um, when we talk about the way that society acts with each other. I mean, we're in uniquely this position as a society. I mean, it's sort of, it's, it is on one hand polytheistic like we've got a lot of belief systems and different types of people mm. but um so religion I'll just go back <laughs> I'm so sorry it's just talking to me is just um, <laughs> this mattering but if you talk about a society um and this is going off the work of Charles Taylor I'll just drop the names that I reference so that people can look it up I guess um but you've got what's called pre-axial religions, which have three sort of main tenets. So it's social cosmos and, and flourishing. And it's basically, we're just talking about not religion as in like a specific, but this is just how society works. And so in the social, religious life is just participating as a collective. So the whole village doing something together, going to church together, I guess, is a good modern example. Um, but pre what's called the axial revolution of of religion society and religion are sort of embedded and the universe is 
one thing. So you're not praying to go to heaven or something necessarily otherworldly, um, but it's about flourishing in the real world. So like, oh, I want to have a lot of kids or I don't want to die when I go hunting um, and everything is embedded in life. And then mm. we get to the axial age and we get religions um, like Taoism, Hinduism, which dissembles the tenets of the pre-axial and results in this introduction of transcendence. And then we, you know, move from real hopes and fear to it being about wanting, you know, moving from wanting food and avoiding bad weather to becoming individualized and wanting things to be wanting a higher good. And then it becomes structural. So you get your Christianity and you, you know, you think about the historical Europe that you learned about in school and there's these structures mm. and we have a church and it's about power. And so we are in an interesting time where we still have that power structure that was born from this development of religion. And because religion and art always go together in philosophy, you know, those discussions of life and meaning. Um, yeah. But we have this disenchantment where, uh, you know, science in the past few hundred years has alienated more a more significant part of the population from directly religion, but we still have these power structures that imitate what was happening and so now like we look to government in sort of the way that people would look to religion as a parental figure like they're supposed to look after us and know what's going on we pay them money to protect us um and so it's really important that we not forget that and like when we're talking about the arts because we I guess, have the power in the way that we talk about culture and we can, you know, engage with it and also criticise it. Mm. Um, we're kind of a danger to that structure. And it no longer has, I mean, the whole idea of our government is that it's not really to religion. It doesn't have that sort of power with people, that resonance. So people are now, I can vote someone out. Um, so, yeah, we, we're kind of forced to be these rebels that <laughs> have yeah. to fight for respect but because it's artists i guess are dangerous i mean this this is like sounds like such I, <laughs> what a crackpot way to talk about it but <laughs> but you know um it's just always going to be a struggle so whether we talk about it and we tackle it in terms of i want respect within this system so i want to demand change and think about the money side of it or I want to be an artist and dismantle the system. Either way, we I think we do have to talk about the work of the artist as being, yeah, much larger than just a job. You're fighting for people and for views and for, you know, criticism of, mm. of the way that the world works because the structures aren't going to do it. You look at any time anyone's try to revolt against the structure and they come down pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why the arts is always helping out. We don't know. Yeah. Um, so, given all of that, <laughs> it's like it's a lot, right? Yeah. It's How not, yeah. do we stay safe as artists? Like, emotionally, um, physically, just in general, I guess. I, th I think it's about just being able to switch from big picture, small picture, in all the ways to stay safe, right? Because, mm. like, the way I think about the arts is, like, a pretty big picture, I guess. <laughs> like, bring yeah. down capital, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, in saying that, you know, I think there's a lot to empower you and keep you going. Like, a lot of acting schools, I think, surely will at some point or another look at the artists and, and you know, make tell them, that they should have a mission statement or have some reason. And I think, first of all, having that reason to be an artist is important because it's never going to be easy. Mm. Um, and second of all, knowing that you're also a person and you're not defined by the art, that's one of the hardest. When I was in acting school, one of the hardest things I found was, you know, someone criticising my performance. I felt so linked to it. That's like someone criticising my writing. I yeah. felt like it was a criticism of me every time it failed, every time I didn't get something. Um, so being able to separate that, separate the person from the art as well, because we are just people and mm. um, being kind to ourselves and being able to take time. But 
yeah as we said it's it's it is hard because we don't live in a in a place that makes it easy um, yeah but knowing your limits is important i think mm. and also um, knowing that like not everyone is against you like i remember back mm. when i was like 15 I would, like, go and, like, do an audition or whatever and they would, like, give me very fair, constructive criticism and I'd be like, oh, my God, they think I'm shit, I'm never acting again, like, whatever <laughs> I'm doing. Like, and I just always was, like, everyone thinks I'm shit. Like, it was just always... And it's just, like, that's not it. Like, nine times out of ten, it's just, like, very fair, constructive feedback. Mm. So, you know, like... You know, like you said, like, not everything is so personal. And I understand it because it's like, you know, you put your, you're putting yourself in this role. Like, it's so, you're so immersed in it. Of course, you're going to be upset if someone doesn't like it. But, yeah. you know, just know that not everyone's going to like your shit. And it's yeah. nothing on you, really. Yeah, Like, for you know, sure. it's just, most of the time, it's not really that deep. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, I obviously can't talk about every actor ever, but in my experience, it's just like it's never usually that deep. It's not someone being like, "You need to quit acting because you suck." It's like yeah. someone just being like, "Oh yeah, okay, this wasn't working." Like that's not yeah. doesn't make me bad. Do you know what I mean? So I think just and learning just always... that, mm. and just in the same way that like I think we just get because it is so linked to us, we get so self conscious. It's just like in the same way that you know, you, your fly's undone or something. You find mm. that out and then you notice everyone else's, but it's like no one was looking at you to begin with. Or do you know what I mean? Knowing something's yeah, stuck yeah. in your teeth. It's like not everyone was worried about that or no one thought it was a judgment on you. Maybe that's a bad, but yeah, just it's, I always just think if you've got to think about it for yourself to someone else, like if someone did a bad audition for me, I don't necessarily think they're bad or, or if I'm giving them pointers, it's not because I think they're awful. It's because you want to see them do well. Yeah. Um, it just might not be right for the here and then because we know it, art's so subjective and each project needs something else. We can't be everything for every project. It's just yeah. impossible. And yeah. People are there. Like, I think if you artists, are, for the most part, in my experience, quite generous people, people want to help you. Um they want to uplift you where they can. Um, mm. I feel like asking someone for help. Like if anyone ever asks me, I always feel like I really want to be there and, and help them where I can. And it's like, you know, thinking of people that you've, you've liked later on um, and trying to connect them up in work. And so oh, I saw this person audition for me weeks ago and, and just knowing that I think that there's that intent there. So at the yeah. end of the day, we all want to make something great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, taking time. But I feel that's such a cop-out as well. I heard that a lot. You know, make sure you guys are looking after yourselves. But how do you do that? I don't know. Have therapy, mm. but that's expensive. But also have therapy, Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> another kind of way to stay safe, maybe that's not the term in for this example, but... Like, knowing when to say no, knowing when to, like, I guess stand up for yourself. Like, because, mm. I mean, I've had experiences where people have taken advantage of me and my work, mm. which, like, back when I was young, like, 16, whatever, I was, I'm, like, I'm getting experience or I'm doing this sort of a bit now. It's, like, I know when to be, like, hey, I'm actually not up for this. I don't want to do it. Let's see mm. it. Like, and I just, like... You know, it goes in like knowing the limit and like all these things, um, which I think is an important part of staying safe because, you know, like if you go into something and then you, I don't know, feel like you weren't treated well enough, like of course you're going to feel like shit about it. Like mm. it's just, you know, so I think, and maybe it comes with experience or age or time. I don't really know, but, you know, knowing when to just say something I feel like is helpful I don't know for me personally yeah. also we create the culture in every decision and relationship we make in the arts as well so it isn't that like looking after yourself can also be making sure that all of your values in you know making art safe or paying people for work are reflected in what you do um mm. 
because I think we affect each other in the way we do things like not wanting to be taken advantage of like whenever I've produced something even you know having almost no but like it was really important to me last year I was producing a variety show so people were only going up for a few minutes and I was like but I want to live in a world where even if I was doing that I would get paid for it because I'm still performing like regardless of the and just making sure that if I was going to produce something, I was facilitating an environment where everyone was going to get paid no matter what. And when I'm casting, I'm being generous in the room, et cetera. So that I guess we're also creating the culture that we want to be in actively. That's another way to not directly, but I think indirectly look after ourselves because I think the more we learn from each other, I think what the Mm. room is supposed to be like. And if you create a good room, then the bad rooms or, you know, the unethical practices can't exist because people are, it's proven that you can do it without it. So I think that's also, if we're looking at, you know, doing more small picture and big picture again, that's another way Mm. to really look after each other and ourselves is to be really active. Yeah. And especially because like, you know, as emerging artists, it's like the arts is changing so rapidly and like we are Mm. the next wave of course it's part of our responsibility I suppose to you know create that environment mm-hmm. so yeah and yeah messing up is okay oh absolutely. that's just the yeah I think that's a bit <laughs> just yeah absolutely if you fuck it up who cares and honestly nine out of ten people will, like actually will not really remember yeah or they won't really <laughs> care like I remember I did an audition once where I had like a full mental breakdown in the room don't know why I just did hey oh, no. and I, I then like every time I saw that director I was like oh my god they're gonna remember me for this <laughs> and like he actually just didn't care he was like oh yeah like whatever it happened but he didn't care he was like you know not like, in a bad way like oh I don't care but he was just like oh it happens like you mm-hmm. know um or like you know like I've done shit where like on stage I'll like fall over and cut my leg open and I'm like <laughs> oh this is so embarrassing everyone's gonna know me for this People don't know or care, like... Yeah, but we remember... That's the thing as well, yeah. It's, again, I think we're the only ones that remember most of our failures. Yeah. And once you realise that, there's a free... Like, I'm still haunted. In I had a primary school production. Oh. Um, and I was in it, and we were doing, like, an amazing race thing. And mm. I was late to my queue. And we would go oh. up... I was in grade six, and we were going up, and I was late to my queue, and they were on stage, and I had to run across the stage mid-scene to get to my position and I still sometimes think about that and shudder and I'm like who no one in the world probably knows that that happened yeah now except for me and people that I tell but I'm like yeah. it's, it's just an example of like we are just our own worst enemies mm. um, with and- a lot of the things we beat ourselves up over mm. <laughs> as well and honestly like just own it like I like it's- that's what I do like I you know, like the time I fell over and cut my leg open, I talk about that and I'm like, oh my god, lol, that was so random. Like, how funny. <laughs> like, it's not something that I'm like that embarrassed about. Like, I just own it. Like, yeah, I fell over. What am I going to do? Like, um, and yeah, you know, no one really cares. Mm. And and most of the things that we think are, are grievous mistakes, no one would know unless we pointed it out as well. Mm. Yeah. Um. So just yeah, take it. It's such a load to to be doing art as we've discussed there's so Mm. many things you're constantly you're giving yourself to it and I think in payment for that I think you can be a little bit generous with yourself yeah and that's and it's so much hard work for you to I remember when I was in like high school I was like in this headspace of like um like, I thought I was really shit, and I was like, why am I acting? I have no talent, there's no point. But I was doing it anyways, and then I was trying to, like, prove everyone wrong, and mm-hmm. then I was like, and, like, that is just so much work. Like, mm-hmm. what? No. Like, it's so much energy to be doing that to yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just not worth it, really. Yeah, there's already, yeah, so much that we've, we've got to do. And I hear that a lot. You... Um, Again, I just point to acting school because I haven't. Mm. After I did that, I was sort of like, "Oh, I think I, I like writing and yeah. <laughs> working on things more." Um, but uh, yeah, hearing that 
I, and going back to again everything's a contradiction because I'm like a one important thing is to have that mission statement that reason why but also don't let that reason why destroy you and yeah. know when to have boundaries with yourself um and I think when they say you know being an artist you're constantly learning it's not just about the craft but it's also you're constantly learning how to battle being an artist and being a, a person person yeah because it's that unification where if we don't allow ourselves to separate sometimes we'll just you know get caught up in it and I think that's why I've heard from a few friends that isolation has allowed them actually to take a breather and reevaluate where they are with their art and what they actually want to be doing and and actually yeah. think oh I was getting so caught up in so many pressures or ideas about what an artist means mm. I mean, can you imagine if everyone was like me and was just every time there was a show was thinking about original religion, like we would never survive. Uh, we, yeah. have to, we have to, you know, sometimes be like, okay, this is a thing, but it's not me. I give a part of me and that's really generous of me, but I can have boundaries and I'm a human and I, and I don't have the capacity to be this endless as much as I want to be. I'm not yeah. this bottomless pit of emotion and art and ideas. And we can stop sometimes and breathe. That's it. Um, should we move on to Shakespeare? Sure. Let's move on. I feel like you're gonna have to do most of the <laughs> heavy thing here because I don't really fuck with Shakespeare that much. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I mean, first of all, like it's just not for me. Like it's just, I don't get into it. I don't really care about it. I don't watch it. I don't read it. Mm-hmm. I worked in a production that was. Um, based on a Shakespeare play mm. and she and then like everyone in the cast and stuff were like talking about like in the original in the original and I'm like I have not <laughs> read or seen or know anything about it the original, it was based on Romeo and Juliet right. and I was like all I know is that they're in love and then they die so, they're little punks <laughs> I hate them that was before I decided that I didn't like Shakespeare I always hated <laughs> those guys yeah <laughs> But maybe the reason that you're not familiar with Shakespeare will maybe the reason that I don't like him will resonate with you yeah. as to why maybe you didn't connect with the work. Because I used to when I was a teen and mm. I was stu- and after when I was studying acting, I loved Shakespeare. Um, I mean, I was pretty basic. Macbeth was my favorite <laughs> plays, uh, play of his. Um, I was in a parody of it um, in high school called Macdeath. Um, and I thought it was so smart because I really liked the original, like, <laughs> like your friends. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's a real one. Eh. Um, but I admired the use of language and I love language just as a person. So I used to put it to that. And so if there was ever homework to translate his words you know, I'd be up the front, I'd finish early, I wanted to help others, I was all there ready to mark out, you know, the syllables. Mm. Um, and, you know, even we did um, his sonnets in acting school and I was all over that. Um, and I originally was like, I love it because it's a love of language. Um, and I love the language. But as I get got older, um, I started realising that language is more than a wide vocab and you know yeah. sentences full of metaphor and imagery um I mean that's obviously a part of it but I'm I started becoming more and more disillusioned with Shakespeare when I started thinking about it in terms of why you wouldn't get it and I think coming into contact and meeting more people that didn't like Shakespeare or couldn't connect um and this is again probably and I think it's a wider problem because Shakespeare is studied in in schools, in acting school, generally in acting school, it's a whole unit. Like you'll mm-hmm. do, it's a whole performance is dedicated always to Shakespeare. I mean, we've got Bell Shakespeare, every second amateur theatre. Like I was reviewing theatre last year and half of the yeah. amateur theatre companies do Shakespeare all the time. And- yeah, I was reviewing last year as well. And <laughs> I swear, like, every week there'd be like a new like Shakespeare inspired thing. Yeah, I so I had to put on. a limit on how many Romeo and Juliet adaptations I wanted to see in 2019. <laughs> I was like, I can't see anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um and I think I'm, well, Australia is, is inherently biased when it comes to education. So if you've got a degree or if you can use big words or hold your own in a conversation 
filled with you know big words then you must know what you're talking about right Mm. because like our entire political sphere is built off public being tricked into supporting things um (laughs) because you know politicians can dodge a question and they've mastered the jargon and, and avoiding things and and speaking in a certain way um so that, that's a whole other conversation but anyway yeah. with the cultural rise of I guess grammar police and online people there's this info wars it becomes it became more apparent to me I guess that knowledge or I guess the the appearance of intelligence was something that was highly coveted and I and the key word there I think is appearance so humans yeah. we're not reasonable creatures we're more likely to believe you know the person that sounds confident as opposed and and loud as opposed to someone who sounds measured um and unsure because most people that i guess know what they're talking about know that they can't be certain of everything so they don't seem as confident um so and similarly we tend to make assumptions about people who can't spell or communicate their ideas in this specifically english way that we're taught at school so if someone has English as a second language or if they come from a spoken word language and their written isn't as um, up to par, I guess, with what schools teach, this is this implicit bias we have that they're less intelligent. So Mm. the reason that I bring that up and the reason that's relevant to Shakespeare is because I thought I loved Shakespeare because I enjoyed language and mainly I enjoyed language because I was good at it. So the education system benefited me because it catered to the way my brain worked. So, um, I enjoyed reading things, writing things, talking about them, writing essays. I enjoyed problem solving and critical thinking. And that's basically what Shakespeare is, right? You're translating not another language, but this code with language. Um, And this language that some people have more of a privilege to dissect. So the students in my classes that struggle to unpack Shakespeare, um, I guess I used to think when I was in high school I was like oh they just don't get it they don't get the art or they don't appreciate art um because it seemed also the way that Shakespeare is taught for it's always a part of the curriculum it seems like that was a marker of like you are artistic or you you know there's this idea in acting schools that if you can perform Shakespeare you can perform everything that's the pinnacle of you know being able to speak prose um Mm. so but then I started to realize like maybe they're not stupid maybe they don't just don't communicate that way so in being able to understand Shakespeare and translate you know sometimes in real time I like was enjoying the superiority that the language skill gave me I guess culturally um and so I was thinking that if you understand Shakespeare you understand the highest level of art like I go to Bell Shakespeare Productions wherever I, I went to uni in Canberra. So I'd, you know, sometimes mm. I'd come there or seeing it in Sydney and I'd be like, mm-hmm, like here I am, the tippity top of what art is because that's yeah. what it seems like. And then I, you know, read more plays and I read beyond school curriculums and beyond what they do in drama school. And then I had this thought one day, I was reading a play by one of Shakespeare's contemporaries. Oh, I forget his name. It's basically Romeo and Juliet, but like incest. That's basically what the play is. And it was from the same time. And I had this thought, I was like, oh, this is good, but I could also understand it. And Mm. I was like, is she, what? And I was just like, is Shakespeare actually good? I mean, others were writing epic plays at the same time. Others have been just as prolific. Others have written plays with more, some people say that Shakespeare's feminist in some of his plays, but a lot of people managed to do the same thing without sounding like a tosser. So after <laughs> this lifetime of idolization, I had to dissect whether, you know, my love for Shakespeare was because it had been put in the curriculum mm. and, and taught to me as the pinnacle of art, um, whether that was actually worth all of that praise or, or whether I loved it because it was worth it. And the more yeah. I read them, the more that I'm like, surely not. It's this weird thing where now I look around, I'm like, he's everywhere, but why? I mean, obviously the context of theatre necessitates, you know, an an academic exploration of the history of theatre. But when Shakespeare dominates, I kind of wonder why. I mean, there's plenty of examples of artists and groups and cultures that have had a large part of, like, slang and names, sayings, news stories. So, um, 
yeah, for Shakespeare, for me, I think it's just really a part of this whole system that separates people in terms of like what they can do in a specifically white language. Mm. Um, And I'm, the more I look at it, I know that people base stories and do depictions of it, but I really just think it becomes more and more subpar to me the more I see it. I really just don't know why we're doing because it just doesn't connect. And even with the Shakespeare that you see, like a lot of the time we'll just put a female in the lead role and it's like, okay, there we are, we're done. We've done something. The amount of shows that I've seen where that's literally all the work that people have done. Um, Yeah. But and if you have to be constantly reinventing, I just, yeah, I, I really wonder why, apart from just, are we all just going along with it? Because that's what we're told, that Shakespeare is amazing, but because we're, it, we're so flooded with it. Yeah. Because um, well, I don't think it's that good. <laughs> see, we never learned, like when I was in high school, we never, I mean, I personally in my class, we never did Shakespeare in English. We didn't do it in drama. So I never really was exposed to it in, like, an education way. Really? Um, yeah. Um, they did it in advanced English, but I was in standard, so we just didn't do that. Because um, we were doing more, like, Australian classics. Like that was kind of the vibe in my school. So my school, I think we um, did one Australian book, and the rest was, like, all yeah. of these. Wow. Ours was, like... See, in advance, it was all, like, the Crucible, Shakespeare, whatever. Mm. And in standard, it was just, like, Aussie books. That was about it. Um, But, yeah, so I never really was exposed to it in education. And then it was just, it's not something that I am that interested in. So I never have gone out of my way to be, like, reading a Shakespeare or learning about it or anything. So maybe that's why I don't necessarily get it. Maybe that's why I don't really care about it because I've just never actually really associated with it um but yeah I think the point you made about um you know we're always like reinventing the classics which I just I have a bit of a like reinventing the classics like I get it and I understand it and like it's great whatever but it's also like why are we spending so much time reinventing old plays and we could be putting on new plays that are better and mm. more relevant and speak to what audiences and all these things that we want out of art meanwhile every company is just reinventing David Williamson and Shakespeare <laughs> like we don't care it's just I don't yeah know. I think um, yeah a big part of it is that as well just we've got this one man who's been dead for a while I don't think he's going to take it personally if we go mm, I, we're giving it a rest will um <laughs> In yeah. favour for new work, like the amount of resources, I just go, no offence at Bell Shakespeare, but I just go to their shows, I'm like, how much money was put in this? How many mm. independent plays? I mean, maybe that's just the plight of an emerging artist. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just think, ah, oh, how many new plays don't ever get done again because they didn't have yeah. the, the money and resources to be developed to that mm. extent? And in that way, you sort of only have a particular type of, person and play that becomes prolific because it's just not to say all you know plays that we I feel like we just have a lot of plays in Australia that get done once so in Sydney as well I just saw so many that will get done once and never be done again but then you know Romeo and Juliet can be done with 10 different companies a year and to some extent you know oh he's free to do because he's been dead so long but there are plenty of other voices and people that could be going on stage that mm. don't alienate because it is just a class I just feel such a class thing when I go to a pl- I don't know if you so what I'm interested to hear because you didn't study in high school what experience mm. you had with Shakespeare so did you go and see a show have you ever seen a Shakespeare show or have you just been like I don't I've never I've never seen like a traditional like Bell Shakespeare production of a show um, so my experience with Shakespeare is honestly, like, anything you've seen in, like, films where it's reference or, like, you know, obviously things like, you know, Romeo and Juliet, like, I obviously know what the story is because it mm-hmm. is such a, it's like the greatest love story ever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and that, I mean, my only real experience with Shakespeare, I'd say, is working on a production that was based off of Romeo and Juliet. Mm. That's about it. 
Did it have a similar language? Like, did it use anything no, like Tamada? No, so it was um it was last year it was um Rosaline at KXT. Okay. I don't know if you um heard about it, but it was like uh um it was like Romeo and Juliet, but told from Rosaline's point of view. But um, the flower you know, in the mouth one. Yeah. Okay. So I just remember things like the private images. When <laughs> I was like, do you know? Oh yeah. Okay. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't like you know, Shakespearean language. It was, like, pretty... Not not modern. I wouldn't say it was modern, but it was, like, you know, modern language. It wasn't, like, wherefore art thou? It was just, like, normal, um, you know, language, I suppose. But, yeah, I just haven't really been exposed to it ever, really, unless it's, like, just kind of general, like, knowledge that I just know because it's... It, you know, so Shakespeare, I mean, he's so prolific. I feel like everybody knows something or other about mm. him. I just always wonder whether that is because it's that good or whether it's just a manufactured place. You know mm. what I mean? When things, Yeah, are, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that you never learned Shakespeare in school because I had to do so many plays in high school um, and then obviously in drama school. Um there's the Shakespeare production um and I was just I always think I'm like if I didn't do this or if I didn't have this chance to be like oh I'm really good at this because you know you're always attracted to something that's that you're good at Mm. you're like oh I really like this I felt like that was Shakespeare I was always like oh I'm very good at like I'm quick at that like problem solving and understanding language because I enjoy looking at things like dialects and and thinking about that sort of stuff Mm. um and it's almost like maths and music and language all in one. But I was just like, but, yeah, do I only enjoy it because it was fed to me? Like, if I had the option and I didn't have all my preconceived ideas about what Shakespeare is and what it means, I'm not sure that I would think it's that good. <laughs> like, yeah, because yeah, there are so many stories from then and before that. And all theatre is borrowed as well. So I don't think it works if you're like, you know, everything's based, so many things are based off Shakespeare stories. It's like, well... Shakespeare was stealing from someone else and someone else was stealing from the Romans and the Roman stock and the ancient yeah, Greeks yeah. and they stole, you know, so it's all stolen. I just don't know why he is so fascinating to people. Yeah. It's like this weird thing. Like, I I don't know, like, he kind of, I guess, became like the, not like a godlike figure. I feel like that's the wrong term, but he was like this, like, beacon of light. And everyone was like, it just kind of, ha- I feel like it, Mm. Kind of just happened to land on, like, you know, you know, Greta Thunberg, the like, um, director. Uh, no, 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 Greta oh, no, Thunberg, no, 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 oh, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The what is she like? The environmental girl, yep. yeah. It's like, you know, she's out here doing like environmental activism, which people have been doing for years and years and years and years, and years but only now she just happened to be the one that got projected into like, mm-hmm. oh, she's like saving the world. I feel like that's maybe what. Shakespeare was it was just like he just happened to be the one that people were like yep he's the one mm-hmm. we don't know yeah yeah exactly that's even like me too Tarana Burke was the original user it wasn't until someone else used mm-hmm. the hashtag that all of these things yeah a lot of it's coincidence um and yeah I just always struggle with it and I'm like why is that and when you talk about other writers as well as well that we adapt so much like Tennessee Williams and Arthur like David Williamson why do we yeah. keep putting his plays on seriously <laughs> I, I that man's name one more time I swear to god <laughs> I, like every it's like we we just keep doing them and I swear to god I read an article like three years ago that was like David Williamson writes his last play and I'm like oh okay we're done we're moving on from it no 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 <laughs> it's still going <laughs> like I'm sorry David also he has my dad's name I'm just sick of the name I'm like I see it <laughs> everywhere and now I see in the arts it's just... <laughs> yeah. yeah it's where's the room and I know there's that there's the argument you know people are adapting there's great players like when I talk about you know we talk about David Williamson or you even talk about you know Arthur Miller or Arthur Tennessee Miller. Williams great works mm. but also, there's great works that have been made in, you know, the last 10, 20 years, yes, great yeah. Australian works. Um, and they all also operate within this really white idea of and this, like, masculine idea of what a story is and what theatre is. 
Um, And when we, all of these predominant voices that we're adapting and that we're showing on stage are one particular type of storytelling, that also limits what people are doing in terms of what new and emerging emerging artists feel is good theatre and what is good story. Like I had a yeah, stage where I was like, maybe I'll just write a show on Iambic Pentameter. Like that's how I'll write well. Mm. It's like that's not necessarily correct. Yeah. At all. But you know, you're always thinking about what you've seen. Like you'd know going and you see performances, or sometimes I even just look at staging or lighting and I'm thinking, oh, that would be great in a we're all this echo chamber, but if it's one type of voice that's always getting done and redone, that also has a big impact on the new work that's gonna come out or the openness to audiences to new types of work. Mm. And even, like, um, not even in, like, specific people, but I feel like even in kind of content, it's, like, we're always seeing, like, the same four to five stories just recycled in a a different, like, um, you know, circumstance. Mm. Um, You know, like, it's always, like, boy meets girl. It's always... Um, you know, oh, we're having a struggling marriage and then whatever. Like, it's always the same mm. thing, just, like, recycled. And so I yeah. feel like that also limits people in, it's like, oh, we're seeing these stories, you know, portrayed on stage or in film or whatever. And then they might want to come out and write something that's, like, totally, like, outside of that world. But it's like, oh, well, that's not what I'm seeing. So that's obviously not okay but like mm-hmm. you know and yeah and when and when it's so dominant people really do think that switching the genders of one character is mm. the definition of bold new work yeah like is <laughs> is it <laughs> yeah, like when um and like not that i'm gonna shit on this film because i thought it was a good film but um marriage story and everybody thought it was like some revolutionary like groundbreaking and i was like it's literally another story about white people getting divorced <laughs> like it's really not <laughs> Like, look, great acting, great writing, cool. But, like, it just wasn't doing anything. I was like, oh, it's just another one of those stories. Like, it just, first of all, it's boring. Like, we're just, we're bored of the same narrative. And also, (laughs) like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I want to see new inventive work. I don't just want to keep seeing the same things redone. Because how many times can you redo the marriage narrative? Like, Yeah. And also then it just teaches people on a, again, we're talking about arts operating on a, larger scale it teaches Mm. people that that is the that binary world is the one that you have to exist in Mm. or alternatively if you don't exist in that you're something other as well that's really important when we talk about representation um all of you know doing adaptations of all of these or continuing to give spots to white old men i don't know from like Mm. different centuries is also you know making people feel like uh, that's why we have to feel or on one that we are fighting to be heard or that we're something other for being represented yeah um but still also trying to operate within that story uh i just think there's just a lot of better like i'm sorry shakespeare but yeah i would just be interested to see what would happen if we were like oh instead of shakespeare we're gonna study like the like just indigenous storytelling mm. instead like th- to the extent that we show and represent Shakespeare can you imagine yeah like what a difference yeah absolutely and I mean like coming from someone who has like not gone to drama school hasn't studied it whatever I I guess I can kind of understand why it would be taught in drama schools in the sense of like you know you teach the classics and then because classics like informed contemporary like I get that concept but um yeah I don't know like when you put it into practice in like the actual industry it's like how much is another adaption of you know Othello helping the arts right now yeah and also considering that there's this I was speaking about this the other day as well this wider cultural idea from the general population that the arts and theatre is something that they should go to Mm. like that's culturally superior but they don't necessarily want to and I think a large part of that is that it's seen as this like really upper class yeah because when you do stuff like Shakespeare it is not accessible to everyone like if Mm. you haven't studied like if you haven't studied it 
and you don't know that particular story, like if you personally went to see Pericles, would you know what's going on if they were speaking in Shakespearean and <laughs> you didn't mm. know the story? Even I sometimes have to just look at the bio when I'm watching a Shakespeare show just to make sure I 100% know what's going on. It's like what the language is is cool to to study, but is it relevant here in Australia to the extent that you're going to put it on that much yeah. at the expense of other voices? Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, this is coming from someone when I was in acting school. I was like really excited to study Shakespeare. I thought, oh, yeah, I want to work with Belle. I want to go on the tours and be in Shakespeare productions because I loved it so much. And then I think I just had to go out and see a lot more work. And then I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the other stuff that can be quite good too. Like they don't have to do backflips with words to be incredible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'll change my mind again. Yeah. Yeah, no. Maybe it's just a phase. The world is young. <laughs> or maybe not. Or maybe not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just would be – I just think it's just a yearning, I think, particularly from young artists maybe. I think we all have this sort of desire to break the mould and maybe that's also where my dislike of Shakespeare mm. comes from. Like we want to do something new. Um, yeah. I often almost feel like this year I was like, I just want to go and see German theatre and, like, go to other countries. I feel like I have to go somewhere else to just see something else to actually expand my idea of what art can be yeah. and what exciting, you know, shows are. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I agree. I feel like only having seen Australian shows, it's, I mean, not limiting, but, you know, I would love to go and watch like I remember one time in high school we had a like a workshop where these like tutors came in and stuff and this one woman was talking about how she studied in France and they did all their shows on stilts and I was like wow that sounds Mm -hmm. so amazing and like you just don't see that here yeah because Australian I mean it probably like that in every country but Mm. it's such a brand you just know uh, for most for the most part i mean it is incredible when people break that mold to do something exciting and that's why you go right for the mm. chance that that's going to happen but there's a lot of plays that just are within this like i'm like oh here we go this is uh, australians doing a doing a play mm-hmm. doing a play well mm. um which is interesting that that's the i think slowly getting better needs a lot more work um, interesting considering how multicultural we are, that there's such a dominant story being told um, and a dominant way that people are doing theatre. Um, I'm sure it's not Shakespeare himself's <laughs> fault, but um, we're definitely not helping by having a whole theatre company dedicated to him. No. <laughs> and then every second Ugh. show is just like a like a new version of... Of Shakespeare. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. She's the man. Really hit it when I was in school. <laughs> I bloody loved that movie. Oh, you know, I never um, knew that was based on a Shakespeare. Movie. Like maybe last year. <laughs> really? And someone, I like think I like read an article about it and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that movie. I look back, I'm like, oh. Well, I guess, you know, being what was I when it came out, nine or something. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I thought that was the pinnacle of a of a young kid's movie. But, yeah, you know, that even that stuff. I mean, that stuff's kind of fun, but it's like also, you know, are you maybe you should let someone else have some ideas if all you can think to do is repeat and recycle. Oh, yeah. An entire show. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I hate about, like, every show coming out these days feels like a reboot. Like, it's mm. like, let's bring back Will and Grace. Let's bring back this, like, what? Is there no new shows coming out? Like, yeah. yeah. And nostalgia is comforting, but mm. again, it's just a, a need for a cultural shift on what theatre and art is and what yeah. films are. And we see that, I see that a lot in films. So perhaps that cause that's because we have international access to films, but people you know, really defying what Hollywood films are, people really going against that sort of grain. And yeah, um, I just really want to see that more in Australian theatre. Mm. Um, less Shakespeare, more, you know, 
the general public want to go to theatre because they're like, I have no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, I find that exciting. Not, oh, yeah, I should. I don't really, I find Shakespeare really laborious. So maybe I won't go to the theatre because that's also my only reference for theatre. So that's what I think that it is. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have any, like, final statements or points or questions? Um, I guess just that, I mean, it can seem all doom and gloom when I talk about, you know, lack of representation <laughs> and being an artist is, is, is so hard. But probably my last thought would be that, you know, art and creation is the enemy or the antithesis of the sterility of everyday life. Um, I just think that art adds colour. So regardless of the things that we have to fight against and push through, I'm just so personally grateful to work in the arts and work with artists and be friends with artists. And I just think they're all generous and incredible and oh, just fabulous people. So I just think it's just in- inspiring, like regard- regardless, yeah, of all the revolution and <laughs> <laughs> crack when I talk um I do really enjoy it that's probably the most important thing yeah um thank you so much for coming on and chatting thank you for having me and thank you everyone for listening I will be back next week with another artist um so yeah live your life have fun stay safe all the fabulous things bye